Back in the good old days, when I did all the preaching, there was about 50 sermons a year I'd preach out of the year, but there was five of them uh, that were uh, repeats. I preached five sermons every year, and it was amazing how nobody could remember that I did. At least they didn't say anything to me. And uh, one of them, my favorite one, was the one after my birthday. That was the same sermon every year, the Sunday after my birthday. And I'd always start it the same way. I'd say, my birthday was this last week, and I got hardly any presents. Most of you forgot. Wow, can't hardly believe that. But, good news, I'm going to let you give me a present today. And then I would preach a sermon on the importance of praying for your pastor, his preaching, his everything, every every year it was seven Ps, things that you could pray for. For me, I preached that sermon, I don't know, 30 times probably. And uh, I said, the gift you could give me is to make a commitment to pray for me once a week for 15 minutes. That'd be amazing. So every year. Now, the last time I preached it, a couple of years ago, I preached it on behalf of Mike, Pastor Mike. I said, you need to be praying for him every week that he would really, really preach well. You could pray like uh, Dr. Dave does. He says, Lord, would you make Pastor Mike, twice the preacher that D is. And then now he doesn't pray that anymore. Now he prays, Lord, thank you that you've made Pastor Mike twice the preacher that D is. And anyway, um, I would pray. And then the other, I won't give you all five, but the second one was this one. It wasn't the same. It was just the same topic uh, with a lot of similar things. There's only so much information you can preach on goals. And so I try to mix it up a little bit. But... Um, so some of you may say, I, I remember that, if you got a good memory. In your notes, number one, God set goals. God sets goals. In fact, everything God does is in response to a goal that he set. I can say that without hesitation. God does zero, nothing, that he didn't pre-decide. Make a commitment, make a goal to do before he did it. That's how he operates. He doesn't operate impulsively. He decides, he plans, he sets goals, and then he does it in the future. Second Kings 19, 5, uh, 25. Have you not heard? Long ago, I did it. From ancient times, I planned it. I planned it. Now, I have brought it to pass. Psalms thirty three eleven. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation Isaiah fourteen twenty four. the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it has happened. Just as I have planned, so it will stand. Isaiah fourteen twenty seven. for the Lord of hosts has planned. Who can frustrate it? As for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Isaiah 25, 1, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wondrous plans, plans formed long ago. With perfect faithfulness. Isaiah 37, 26. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11 is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible about God and who he is. Remember the former things long past. I am God. I'm God. There's no other. There's no other. I am God. There's no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. 
calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. I will do it. So the word that you use for these verses, one word, is the word sovereignty. And so sovereignty is what God is. He is all sovereign. That means he controls everything and he can do anything. That's God, the God we worship. He is sovereign. Now one of the truths in the Bible that sometimes we don't pick up is that God loves to give a bit of sovereignty, his sovereignty, to you. Each of us have been given from God some sovereignty. So I got up this morning and... See this shirt? I picked it out. I got, you know, a dozen shirts. Let's see. Yeah, I'll take that one. I did that. I have some sovereignty. I can choose what shirt I wear. In fact... I thought, man, I don't want to go preach to all those people this morning. Oh, I guess I better do it. It's my job. So here I am. I chose to do it. I have that sovereignty. You're here. You chose to be here instead of stay home. So all day long we make choices. We choose what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to say. We can do that only for one reason, because God gave us sovereignty. Now, he gave it to us not only to live life in general, but also to serve him. To bear fruit for him. And so he gave us the ability to plan, to make choices, and to accomplish things with our life. We can do that only because of the sovereignty which he has given us. Now, God gives us his sovereignty as a gift, as it were, and we are responsible as stewards for what he gives us. Now, if you use what he gives you well, he'll give you more. And he'll give you more. And he'll give you more. And the more you have, the more you can accomplish with his sovereignty and his power and his authority in your life. There is not a better way to exercise stewardship over the sovereignty that God has given you than by setting goals of things that you're going to do for him and uh, the life that you're going to live that's going to glorify him. You can only do that because you have sovereignty. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament book of Daniel? Uh, He was like the most powerful, richest Dude, probably nobody's ever been equal to him in the history of the the world. I mean, he was a a fairly accomplished individual. One morning he gets up and he looks around and he says, Wow, I am so cool. And a voice speaks to him from heaven. He says, To you, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty has been removed. Sovereignty has been removed, taken out of your life until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over over the realm of mankind. He bestows his sovereignty on whomever he wishes. And King Nebi became totally insane. Took his clothes off, got on his hands and knees on the front lawn of the castle, ate grass like a cow. Seven periods of time, he was just... And then one day, God spoke and says, or he had his reason come back, he says, God is sovereign. And God said, I'm giving back your sovereignty and even more. So I have sovereignty. You have some sovereignty. A little bit. But we can get more and more 
and more as we steward what we have well. Number two, most of God's goals revolve around us. I made a lot of goals for my kids. I made a lot of goals for my grandkids. I still have a whole bunch of goals for them. And so God's goals, he makes lots of them, but most of them revolve around me and you. Psalms 139.16, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You planned out my life. You wrote it all out in your book, my life, and yours as well. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Uh, There was a beginning and then there's a process that's been taking place through all of history where God is making us more and more like Jesus in character. Number three, we function best when we function the way God does. Now you can act like a monkey if you want. Uh, You can do what King Nebi did, get down on your hands and knees, eat grass like a cow if you wanted But we function best when we function like God because we were created by God in his image and in his likeness and he has given us the ability to function as he does. Ephesians 5, 1, Therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Do what he does. Do it the way he does it. Number four, if we're serious about accomplishing our goals, we need to write them down. You know, when we get together a family for Christmas, our kids come. About half of them came this year. And uh, whenever we get all together, we get to talking about the old days when they were little growing up and where we lived and what we did and where we, you know. And their favorite thing is to talk about uh, things I did as dad. That, uh, dad, you know, I can't believe what dad did. Uh, anyway, we get to talking about that. And I said, did you know that all eight of you, when you were little, acted like your mother? What are you talking about? Whenever I gave you a job to do, and then I would ask you if you did it, you all said the same thing. What was that? I forgot. I forgot. I, I heard that 10,000 times from you kids growing up. I forgot. That was like the ultimate excuse. I forgot. And I didn't doubt that you did. You were busy and stuff. So, you're going to write one goal. I mean, you can have one goal, two goals. You can have just one goal. Uh, if you're not going to write them down, that's all you're going to be able to do. Because you'll forget. I mean, some of you are getting kind of old. And you can barely remember your name. Let alone two goals. You'll get to the, I forgot. So write them down in detail. What your goal? If you write them down, you can have a hundred if you want, because you'll read them every day, every day. Exodus thirty-one eighteen. When he had finished speaking with him about upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. God writes. God writes. He invented words. He invented writing. The Bible is in, uh, recorded over the years in writing, and we have it today because he sovereignly brought it down to us. Writing. We think words, and they work in our head. Um, 
Number five, thinking and pondering about what our goals will be, praying about what they will be, and then writing them down is a great way to uncover God's will for our life. So, God speaks to us. He speaks to us, just like I'm speaking to you now. Problem is, we don't hear very well. Because in our mind, we have thoughts that come to us from God. Also, in our mind, we have thoughts that come to us from the devil. And his goal is to sound as much like God as he possibly can. He masquerades as an angel of light. You have thoughts that come from the world. You have thoughts that come right from you. And so, uh, what we have to learn how to do is to listen and get to the point where we can actually figure out which one is from God. That comes from practice. I went and uh, had lunch with a um, retired pastor, and he was really good when he was pastoring. And so I wanted to ask him how to pastor. So when we went out to lunch, I had a yellow legal pad with questions on it, and I asked a question, and he talked, and then I would take notes. And he said, uh, you know, what you're doing is a good thing. I said, what's that? He said, taking notes. He said, if you weren't, I wouldn't be real serious about my communication to you because I would figure you would forget it anyway. But because you're taking notes, I'm thinking real serious about what I'm telling you. And I'm digging deep because you're listening, paying attention, and you're writing it down. So who does God speak to? Everybody the same? Those who listen. Those who listen. Those who pay attention. Those who want. Those are the ones that God will communicate to. And so he will communicate to us exactly what he wants us to do if we pay attention. Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. You will prove what the will of God is. You'll know what his will is. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11. It came about, uh, so I came to Jerusalem. Nehemiah did. And he's going to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And he He was there three days, and I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. What my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. God was communicating to Nehemiah, talking to him, telling him, this is what I want you to do. And he put it in his mind. Now, he does the same thing for me, the same thing for you. The problem is that we miss it. We don't get it because we don't listen. We don't pay attention, and, and we don't write it down. <clears throat> First Chronicles twenty eight eleven. David gave to his son Solomon. David's getting ready to die. He's an old man. Solomon's his son's going to take over, and he's going to build the temple. And so David gave his uh, the plan, the blueprints for the porch of the temple. It's building its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for the mercy seat. Everything about it, all the blueprints, he hands to Solomon. Verse 19, all this said, David, the Lord made me understand. The Lord made me understand in writing. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God gave it to him in writing. It means that as David was writing, God's hand was on him. God was prompting him, speaking to him. He said, God made me understand while I was writing his hand upon me, the details of this pattern. Simple thing, like a blueprint, God communicated to David while he was writing. So I write. I spend a month writing my goals. And I scratch it out, and I rewrite, and I rewrite, and I rewrite, and I listen. Um, and I say, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to do your will. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. Proverbs 16, 9, this is a form of Hebrew poetry, as it were. It's called antithetical parallelism. That is two verse uh, statements that appear to be contrary to each other but aren't, just stated in opposites in order to give a full meaning. The mind of man plans his way. The Lord directs his steps. Those happen at the same time. Six, reading our goals regularly is the key to maintaining motivation, to pursuing them, and to remember what they are. Weekly is good, daily is best. My wife lost her keys a while back. I was dumb. I didn't get a duplicate. We didn't have a duplicate, and she lost it. And I was gone, and she informed me when I came back that she spent $100 that wasn't in our budget. That's what it cost when AAA came to make a duplicate key for the car, uh, $100. Needed the key. Without the key, the engine doesn't run. Got to have the key. I have an engine in me. And uh, you do. A lot of people's engine is not running. That's because the key is not on. Uh, The key is our goals. Read your goals. Read your goals. Read your goals. I mean, it revs up your engine faster and faster and faster and faster reading your goals. It motivates you. It gets you all excited. It fills you with passion for the future when you read what your goal. Wow, this is what I'm going to do. Cool. You have motivation. You have passion. You have energy. You just turn the key on. Turn the key on. Read your goals. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answered me and said, record the vision. Write it down. Inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. The one who reads it may run. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Write it down, the vision And the one who reads it will run. Seven goals are not vows, the law, or obligations. We can change them as much as we want. So I always have people talk to me about the reason they don't do goals is because they did goals and they only got about half of them done at that and they felt guilty because of it. And I said, well, you know what happens when you get into your goals about a month, two months, and you don't think you're going to get it done? Change them downsize just as long as you're keeping a little pressure on moving i mean sometimes you just don't know make adjustments they're your goals they you know i always get this verse can you do that sure you don't want goals to be a stick that beats you up you want them to inspire to motivate and so sometimes they simply need to be adjusted and changed i do that all the time i make a goal to catch seven fish and i decide to catch 20 you know just adjust as life changes 
Um, Paul said in Romans 7, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not oldness of the letter. So you're not wanting to write the law. I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. Paul says, you know, I didn't have a problem with coveting until God told me not to covet. Then I coveted all the time. We don't like getting bossed around. Somebody said, uh, uh, I was talking to the pastor about the past and going through the COVID period as a church. He said, what was the key to getting through that? I says, don't tell people what to do. Don't boss people around. Give multiple choices and say, you do whatever you want. It's your life. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to boss you around because as soon as I start, you don't like me. We don't like to get bossed around. Only time Patty and I ever have any kind of a conflict is when she bosses me around. It's not very often, but occasionally she does. And I'll say, woman, stop bossing me around. (laughs) So don't do it to yourself. Your goals are an expression of your desire of your heart, not the laws. Our goals, number eight, ought to be what we really want to accomplish. They are an expression of the desires of our heart. Desires of our heart, I... Years back when I was farming and I couldn't decide, farm, pastor, farm, pastor, I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, driving me crazy. So I I went out to lunch with a missionary from the Philippines that I really admired. And uh, I said, how do I know? He says, get close to God, do what you want. I remember when he said that, I thought, what? That's not right. He says, now, if you don't get close to God, this isn't going to work. Because if you're not close to God, you're going to do what you want, your flesh. If you don't get close to God, you're going to do what the devil wants. But you get close to God, then his desires for you, those will be the desires of your heart. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Get close to God and do what you want. So uh, I'm always asking myself the question, what do I want to do, really? What are down deep the desires of my heart? Psalms 21, 2, you have given him his heart's desire. Psalms 145, 19, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. Number nine, people who set goals tend to have better priorities. The pressures of life are constantly flipping the priorities of our life upside down. There was a book came out years ago. It became an instant bestseller. It was a little book, only like 50 pages in the thing. And the title was The Tyranny of the Urgent. The urgent was not the important. The urgent really wasn't what we should spend our time doing. But almost everybody does the urgent. That's the squeaky wheel stuff. Uh, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And the book was simply about how we have good intentions to do what's important, but we end up doing the urgent instead and leave the important. Life just does that. It just flips upside down. And when you write goals, you're writing what is important, what you really want to accomplish. And when you read them over and over and over, they stay up at the top of your thinking. They control the choices you make during the course of the day. 
They keep your priorities square, upright, where they ought to be. Uh, one individual I talked to, he says, you know, the average individual spends most of their time doing um, the stuff in life that doesn't change anything. Um, I had a pastor say to me once, you get more done than any pastor I know. I said, that's not true. I know lots of pastors get way more done than I do. But I get the important things done because I choose not to do the things that are urgent, that are the squeaky wheel things that don't change anything. It's a huge difference at the end of your life when you've majored on the important as opposed to the urgent. The important shows up at the judgment seat of Christ. The urgent doesn't. And the only way you'll keep that straight is if you spend your time on paper. Spend your life on paper before you spend it in real life. Decide what you're going to do ahead of time and write it down. It's like budgeting your money. Matthew 6.33, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and the things related to his kingdom. Ten, goal setters almost always manage their time better. You're going to manage your money, you make a budget. You spend your money on paper before you spend it in real life. It eliminates impulsiveness. If you're going to manage your time well, spend it on paper before you spend it in real life. It eliminates impulsiveness. Uh, It's a key to being um, a good manager of your time. Time management is not about time management. Time management is about getting done what matters. Time management is about doing the things that bear much fruit. Time management is about investing your life in the things that glorify God. Ephesians 5.15, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Don't be fools. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Number 11, because of right priorities being established, goal setters tend to bear much fruit with their life for God. That's really what our life is about, is bearing fruit for God, doing things that last, changing people, uh, influencing people. They choose to be followers of Jesus. They grow in their walk with Christ. You make a difference. John 15, Jesus is speaking just before his betrayal and his crucifixion. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. People ask me what that means. I said, I don't know, but I know this. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You don't want it to happen to you. He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. Branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Twelve goals are an effective and thoughtful way to coach ourselves into moving outside our routine, comfortable, and predictable life. So we, the inside person, likes to be able to predict the future. Not to plan it, but to predict it. Not to control it, but to predict it. You know how you predict the future? 
by doing what we've always done. If you get in a rut, ruts tend to go the same place they've always gone, so we like ruts because then we know what's next. Um, Ruts are bad if you want to bear fruit, but we like ruts. We've done it before, so we know we can do it again. We've done it before, so it's relatively comfortable and unthreatening, and we can predict what's going to happen. It's hard to get people to get out of ruts. Really, the only way you're going to do it is to set some goals, make some decisions. Use the sovereignty God has given you to plan and to direct your life. Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow gate, that's not the easy one. For the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, failure, no production. There are many who enter through it, many, most. The gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, success, fruit bearing. Few, not very many, take that choice. All day long, you're choosing. 13, make a goal to do something you have never done before. We don't like change. Because we've not done it that way before. We're not sure we can do it. It might hurt. We might fail. Every year you should do something you've never done before. Not even, it doesn't even have to be hard. Just new. New. Do something new. Numbers 11, 5 through 6. This is the nation of Israel. They've just come out of Egypt. You know, they're slaves. They're making brick. They're getting whipped. Life is bad. But after they've been out a few weeks it says we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions the garlic but now our appetite is gone all there is is this stupid manna give us the good old days Um, we like the good old days 14 make a goal to learn a new skill I'm going to I've got a goal to go up to Alaska and to row my drift boat out into the ocean one mile and fish for halibut. There's a guy up there that does that. And I talked to him the last time I was in Alaska. I said, you row your boat out there? Oh, yeah. He says, easy. You go one, uh, two hours before slack tide, stay till two hours after slack tide. The current's not that bad. You, don't, you, know, you watch the weather. You don't do it when there's a bunch of big waves. You go out there just a mile, put your anchor down. Um, he said, I limit out every time I go out. And I fish in 40 feet of water with four ounces of lead. And I catch 50-pound halibut. I said, wow, these guides charge $300. You go way out there and you're fishing 600 foot of water with like an anchor this big around. I mean, a lead this. Oh, that sounds way better. Yeah, it's easy. I'll teach you how. I've never done that before. But I'm going to learn. Patty says, can you swim? (laughs) Maybe you should learn that. I'll have a life jacket on, no problem. New skill, learn new skills, something you've never done before. Fifteen, make a goal to go someplace that you've never been. Sierra Leone on a missions trip? Maybe you can go on a cruise. Ever been to Idaho? Go to Idaho. (laughs) I'm going to go to C.J. Stryker Reservoir in Idaho and fish this next year. I've never been on that reservoir before. He said, well, that's not a big deal. Doesn't have to be a big deal. Just do something, anything that's new, different. Go someplace you've never been. <clears throat> I remember when I made a goal to make soap. I had to give up my man card. <laughs> if 
But I made some good soap. My girls loved it. They thought it was the best soap in the country. 16, we all function best under pressure. Goals are a very effective tool to put controlled pressure on ourselves. You don't want a bunch. Just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. If you don't put it on you, everybody around you will. And then it's not pressure, it's stress. And stress kills you. Pressure you control. How much? 17 goal setters are always learning and growing because the pressure to accomplish their goals requires it. So when you, you know, I read my goal of rowing my drift boat out into the ocean a mile. I read it every day, every day, every day. And the other day, I saw an article on rowing a drift boat out in the ocean in Alaska and fishing for halibut. Wow. So you know what I did? I read it. Caught my eye because I have that goal and I read it. And so things catch my eye. I hear things. People say things. I read things. I see video of those things that I've made goals about. And so you're always gaining information in the area that you set your goals because it's just automatic. It just attracts your attention and you learn and you grow. 18 people who set goals are motivated to pray for strength and wisdom to accomplish their goals. I used to go other churches and teach goal setting. I did that quite a bit and there was uh, quite a lot of frustration with it because I got so much pushback. There was three questions that always got asked and I don't want to offend anybody but it was always older ladies. One of the questions was, isn't goal setting usurping God's control in our life? I says, no. Goal setting is using what God has given us to glorify him. We're not saying, God, I'm just going to do my own thing in spite of what you want me to do. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to discover what his will is and cooperate with it and fall in line with it. And one of the things that you do when you set goals is you always, always, every time you read them, you say, Lord, help me, help me, help me, guide me, direct me, show me. And uh, non-goal setters don't do that much. Psalms ten seventeen. Oh, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. The desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. Proverbs 2, 9. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Every good course. Every good course. You'll know what to do. 19. A goal is a great way to say I love you to God. You've heard this story before, but we were married 20 years, Patty and I, before I ever told her I love you even once. I didn't know I was supposed to. My dad never told my mom. He loved her. Never told us. I, it wasn't part of my thinking, my vocabulary. But there came a point, I forget exactly what, but I, I need to do that. So I made a goal to tell her every day, five times, every day, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And so one day she asked me, what, what did I mean? So I wasn't sure. So I thought about it. And so I wrote out some commitments, some promises, some goals. And I gave them to her, and I said, every time I say, I love you, I'm remaking these. One of them was, I will not get angry at you, not even a little bit irritated, no matter how many times you lose your keys. 
Every time I say, I love you, I'm promising you that. And so if I started to get a little heated, she simply said, I love you. It's a great way to pull my chain. And it worked great. Another one was, this was a huge problem in our life. Every time I say, I love you, I'm promising you that when you talk, I will listen. And I will honor you by paying sincere attention to your words. And I will never again do this. That meant land the plane. Regular thing that I used to do. And, you know, Patty, she go, she can go on for days uh, talking. And so I don't like this. or This was the bottom. Just give me the bottom line. Neither one worked well. Uh, and I said, I'll never do that again. And uh, what did she interpret that as? I love you. So you could do that with God and with people. You could say to God, I will read your word every day for 15 minutes. You could say to God, I'll spend 15 minutes every day just you and I praying, talking, fellowshipping with you. Great way to say to God, I love you. Revelations 2, 4, I have this against you that you have left your first love. This is Jesus speaking. You've left your first love. You've fallen away from me. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Repent. Do the deeds you did at first. Do the deeds you did at first. What are those? Make a goal and do them. Number 20, a goal is a great way to make a relational adjustment with those you love. What could I do better? What could I do better? I made a goal to take Patty on a date twice a month. So if you call me and say, Pastor, my marriage isn't going well, first thing I'll ask, could you take your wife on a date? Well, no, okay, start there, twice a month. So, as I mentioned, Pastor Mike's gone because of a wedding on Friday for Josiah, and we went to the wedding, and it was a nice wedding, and, uh, and they had a dinner afterwards, a nice dinner, and we're sitting there at the table eating dinner, and I leaned over to Patty, and I says, I'm counting this as a date. It's food, huh? I don't have to pay for it. So, you know, you check them off, get them done. Number 21. We all tend to keep doing what we have always done in our relationships and roles in life unless a massive crisis happens. Talking to a lady a while back, young lady, and she said, Pastor D, my husband's moved back in. They'd been separated for a year. I said, really? What prompted that? She says, he quit drinking. Um... So I let him move back in. Things are going pretty good. Why didn't he stop drinking before? Eh, wasn't a reason to. But now there was a crisis. And so he did what he hadn't done because of the crisis. That's the way most of us are. We don't change a whole lot. Now there's some kind of a crisis, an emergency, some trial that comes into our life. 22, most people don't write down their goals for their own life. I mean, I preach on goal setting, a leadership class, and still I would guess that it's way less than 50% in our church that write their goals down. Why? There's a bunch of reasons. And I know all of them. I've heard them all. 
The main one is that they have lived most of their life without written goals. Yeah, done just fine. Done just fine. So why go through the work and discipline of being a goal setter? So, I, I look at my life. I think, okay, what do you need to change? What do you need to fix? What do you need to get better at? So I examine my life, and I also think about the things that I'm good at, what I'm strong in. And so I would say that if I'm going to put uh, the things that I do well at, I'm going to put this one over here. This would be the number one strength that I believe I have as a person, and that is I am extremely discontent. I always, always want more. I want more. How many people come to church? I'd like more. How many fish I catch? I'd like to catch some more. How much fruit have I borne for God? I'd like to do some more. Every night, I examine my life, confess all known sin to God, and just before I go to sleep, I say, Lord, thank you for the day. Tomorrow, would you give me just a little bit more? And if it comes to the point, Lord, where you're not going to give me more, then would you please take me to heaven? I want to do more. Now, if that's not the way you are, You're content with where you are, with the growth you've got, with the accomplishments of your life, the fruit you're born. If you're content, then don't worry about goals because you'll just stay there. But if you'd like to change, if you'd like to grow, if you'd like to accomplish more than you've accomplished, the only way you're going to do that, I can say that without any hesitation, no apology, the only way you're going to do that is by using the sovereignty God has given you and choose and write it down and plan and then press towards that goal. And it's not comfortable, but it works quite well if you're interested in doing more, if you're interested in changing and bearing much fruit. In fact, It's the only thing that works. Use the sovereignty God has given you, and he'll give you more and more and more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us sovereignty. Thank you that you created us in your image and your likeness. You want us to grow, become like you in character, so that when we get to heaven, we'll enjoy you, and you'll enjoy us. And, um, Lord, we tend to live life just going with the flow, just Taken one day at a time and whatever happens, happens. We don't exercise much sovereignty or control over our life, planning, deciding, choosing. I pray that you would motivate us to be those who bear much fruit for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.